episode of Sleep and Relax ASMR. I wanted to take a moment uh, and say thank you for tuning in and listening to the podcast. I also wanted to mention that we just launched our website, which is sleepandrelaxasmr.com, just all spelled out. Uh, The website has all of our show episodes, news, and announcements, and it also has information for brands that are interested in sponsoring the show. But uh, most importantly, the website will make it easier to connect with you guys. Um, And I would love to get in touch with as many fans as possible. So I invite you guys to check out sleepandrelaxasmr.com. It's all spelled out. If you're confused about the spelling, just check out the show notes uh, and there will be a direct link. But that's all for now. Thanks again for tuning in and enjoy the episode. Chapter 11 love blooms in a workhouse, and a boy is left in a ditch. Mr. Bumble had counted the silverware and figured out the value of Mrs. Corny's furniture. In fact, he did this many times. Then he began to think that it was time for her to return from old Sally's deathbed. Since he heard nothing, he took one last peep into the drawers of her dresser. After finding some jewelry in a lockbox in which coins rattled around, he thought it might be time that he had a wife. was proudly looking at himself in the mirror when Mrs. Corney scurried into the room. Oh, Mr. Bumble, cried the lady. I have been so upset. She batted her eyes. It's such a comfort to have you here. Nothing else was said for a minute or two. This is a very comfortable room, ma'am, said Mr. Bumble, looking around. It's a bit much for one person, murmured the lady, but not for two, Mrs. Corney said Mr. Bumble in a soft voice. Mrs. Corney dropped her head when Bumble said this. She sank into Mr. Bumble's arms as he gave her a kiss on the nose. Such parish perfection, sighed Mr. Bumble. You know that the master of the workhouse is quite ill. His death will leave that important job open for me. Oh, Mrs. Corney, what a fine time to join our hearts in the same house. The workhouse matron threw her arms around Mr. Bumble's neck and called him a darling duck. Mr. Bumble stopped at Mr. Sourberry's on the way home and ordered a coffin for Old Sally. When Sykes and Crackett had decided to make a run for it after the failed robbery, they had dropped Oliver in a ditch. Somehow servants with dogs had chased the robbers into the field, but soon gave up and returned to the house. Oliver awoke early in the morning. His head was dizzy, and he staggered back and forth. He spotted a house and stumbled toward it, only to see that this was the very house they had tried to rob. Nevertheless, he made his way to the front door. Inside the house, the butler, Mr. Giles, and the handyman, named Brittles, were having tea in the kitchen. They had taken part in the chase the night before. Mr. Giles was telling some of the other servants the exciting story when a sound was heard on the front porch. The cook and the housemaid screamed. It was a knock, said Mr. Giles, trying to stay calm. Open the door, somebody. Nobody moved. Mr. Giles ordered Brittles to open the door. There stood poor Oliver Twist, his arm bleeding 
with sad, tired eyes. But boy, he's one of the robbers. Moving to the foot of the stairs, Kyle shouted, Here he is, ma'am. Here's one of the thieves. I shot him myself, and he's bleeding. Won't you come and take one look at him? Not now, replied a lady's voice from upstairs. Poor fellow, treat him kindly, Giles, and see if you can find the doctor. Chapter 12 Fortune finally smiles on Oliver. The next morning, the two ladies of the house sat having a delicious breakfast. Mrs. Maley, a proper older woman, sat across from her niece, Rose, a beautiful teenage girl with a cheerful, happy smile. At this moment, a carriage drove up to the garden. Out jumped a stout gentleman. It was Dr. Losburn, a local doctor and good friend of the family. He was shocked to hear of the robbery, but Rose was more worried about the patient. There's a poor wounded thief upstairs whom you must see, she told the doctor. I understand that you did the shooting. I understand that you did the shooting, Giles, said the doctor. Mr. Giles said that he was proud to have helped and led the doctor upstairs to examine Oliver. When the doctor returned downstairs, he asked Mrs. Maley if she had yet seen the thief. No, replied the old lady. I think you and Rose should come with me and have a look at him. When they entered the room, the doctor gently drew back the covers of the bed. There the woman saw just a tiny, wounded child, worn out from pain in a deep sleep. What can this mean? exclaimed the older lady. This poor child could never have been a robber. But even if he has been wicked, said Rose, think how young he is. That evening, Oliver told them all about what him, about himself <coughs> and what had happened to him. It was a sad story to hear in the darkened room. Oliver gradually became stronger and happier under the care of Mrs. Maley, Rose, and the kind-hearted Dr. Losburn. His arm was almost healed. In words of tearful thanks, he said how deeply, how deeply he felt the goodness of the two, the two sweet ladies. Oliver also wanted just as much to show his thanks to Doctor, uh, to Mr. Brownlow, Mr. Brownlow, and Mrs. Bedwin. Doctor Losburn went to call on Mrs. Brownlow, but learned that he that they had left town for the West Indies. This saddened Oliver, but he was still very happy with Mrs. Maley and Rose. Mrs. Miley and Rose grew to love Oliver more each day. It was a peaceful, happy springtime for Oliver. His days with Mrs. Maley were happy and hopeful. He and Rose were as close as blood relatives. As spring turned to summer, Dr. Losburn taught Oliver to write and gave him good books to read. Oliver became strong and healthy. But not everyone was as lucky. One morning, Rose woke up with a high fever. As the illness grew worse, Mrs. Maley wrote a letter to the doctor and asked Oliver to take it to a nearby inn and give it to someone who would deliver it. Oliver was glad to help. After giving the letter to a messenger at the inn, Oliver bumped into a tall man in a cloak and fell to the street. Oliver picked himself
his ugly pale face grow paler, and he began shouting and cursing at the boy. Then the man's mouth began to twist up, and he suddenly fell to the ground in a fit. Oliver hurried home and told Mrs. Maley of the awful man with the fit. But soon his thoughts and prayers turned to his sick friend Rose. Several days and many prayers later, Rose was out of danger and feeling better. Mrs. Maley's son, Harry, came from a long way off when he heard that Rose was sick. He told his mother how much he loved Rose and wanted to marry her. Mrs. Maley told her son that she knew Rose loved him, but that she could never marry him. Mrs. Maley did not know Rose's true background, as she had taken the girl in when she was small. She could never allow her son to marry a girl, even a girl she called her niece, who had no family background. One lazy summer day, about a week later, Oliver sat reading and fell into a light sleep. He thought he was in a dream and that he was in Fagin's house again. He seemed to see the old red-haired thief pointing at him and whispering to a tall, younger man. Suddenly, he awoke, trembling with fear. There at the window stood Fagin, and beside him was a scowling old man with a pale, twisted face. few breaths. 
Yes, she told me that many years ago she had been the nurse at the birth of this boy, Oliver. It seems Oliver's mother died. Died right after he was born. But before the mother died, she gave something to the nurse and asked her to keep it for her son's sake. She th said that someday it might make him proud of her and help to give him a better life. Go on, cried Monks. Well, the old nurse told me that she had stolen what the young mother had given her. Just as she, just as she was trying to tell me what this thing was, she died. When her aunt reached out to me as she took her last breath, I took a small slip of paper from her hand. I'll tear the light off you both if I don't find out what it is. Monk's face grew red as a beet. It was a pawnbroker's ticket. What did she pawn? asked Monks. This, replied Mrs. Bumble. She threw a small bag upon the table. Monks tore it open. It contained a gold locket with two locks of hair and a plain gold wedding ring. The word Agnes was written on the inside of the ring with a blank space left for the last name. There was also a date a year before Oliver's birthday. And this is all, said Monks. That's all, said Mrs. Bumble. I took... I took the ticket to the pawn shop, paid money to buy it back, and this is what I was given. Does anyone else know about this? Anyone? No, just the three of us. I was alone with the old nurse when she died. Suddenly, Monks jumped up and pushed the table away. He opened a trap door in the floor beside Mr. Bumble's foot. Violet river water rushed by beneath them. Monks tied the ring and locket in a handkerchief along with a heavy rock and tossed it into the swift dark water. You'll say nothing about this to anyone ever, Monks snarled. Get away from here as fast as you can. Chapter 14 Thorn seeks a rose. Mr. Bill Sykes' luck had turned bad. He had moved to a filthy new hideout. A visit from Fagin only made him angrier. Fagin owed him money, and he hadn't brought it with him. Sykes ordered Nancy to follow Fagin home to get his money. While Nancy was waiting for the old villain to count on Bill's money, a visitor came to Fagin's hideout. Nancy heard a familiar voice. It was Monks. The two men went up the stairs to talk alone, but Nancy listened at the door. When they returned, she had her bonnet and shawl on, ready to leave. She was scared to death by what she had heard. Nance, said Fagin as he placed the coins in her hand, how pale you are. At home, Nancy could not hide her fear and nervousness. Bill did not trust her and began to watch her closely. One night, she secretly put a sleeping potion in his drink and hurried out. She ran on and on to a little hotel in a nice part of the city. She told the clerk that she had an important message to deliver to someone at the hotel. Finally, Rose merely walked into the room where Nancy had been waiting. Here, the two young ladies, both about the same age, but so very different, faced each other. 
sit down, said Rose, in a kind voice. If you are sick or need money, I shall be truly glad to help you if I can. No, said Nancy, I'll stand. I'm about to put my life and the lives of others in danger. I am the girl that kidnapped Oliver Twist from Mr. Brownlow many months ago.
see Mr. Brownlow get out of a coach and enter a house. Within five minutes, Oliver and Rose were on their way to that house. When they got there, Rose told the servant who she was and asked to see Mr. Brownlow right away. The old gentleman was with Mr. Grimwick when he invited Rose to have a seat. Sit, said Rose. I'm here because you have shown great kindness to a very dear young friend of mine. You knew him as Oliver Twist. Mr. Grimwig let out a long, deep whistle. If you know things about that child, please tell me, said Mr. Brownlow. A bad one. I'll eat my head if he is not a bad child, growled Mr. Grimwig. He is a good child with a warm heart, said Rose. She told Mr. Brownlow of all that had happened to Oliver since he had left this house. But where is he? said the old gentleman. He is waiting outside, replied Rose. Mr. Brownlow flew out of the room and returned with Oliver's hand in his own. Ringing the servant bell, he said, There is somebody else who should not be forgotten. Send Mrs. Bedwin here, if you please. The old lady was still digging in her purse for her glasses when Oliver jumped into her arms. So, that's the end of chapter 14. Uh, hope you guys enjoyed the episode. I'm going to um, definitely release chapters 15 and on uh, in the near future. But thanks again, guys, for tuning in. Um, yeah, if you have any questions, if you have any comments, you can reach me at sleepandrelaxasmr at gmail.com. And you can check out the website, sleepandrelaxasmr.com. But um, that's all for now. Thanks again.